Um, we are in the middle of lesson number two. Do you not care? And um, as you probably remember, we got through a really interesting discussion. Uh, we're in the middle of a great discussion last week. I do want to give a shout out to uh, Ed Parkman, who did fill in for me the week before. Um, and I forgot to do that because we just kind of got right into the lesson and didn't mention that. But we appreciate people stepping up and helping out every now and then. Uh, may have another weekend coming up in October for others to jump in. Uh, when we get closer to that, I'll let you know, but we'll see how it goes. So let's go ahead and get started and pick up where we left off and kind of ease back into this a little bit. And uh, we'll look to the Lord with a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father, just we just thank you for this time that you've given us to come before you and to sit before you and hear you speak. We thank you for this time of Sunday school where we can reflect upon what your word has to say. And Lord, we don't take it for granted because we know that there are many churches that do not have Sunday school. They don't have an opportunity to sit and use this time to reflect upon your word. And we need the special time. Lord, we do value the time we have alone before you with the word, but we truly do value this time where we can sit together as a group and allow you to speak to us as a group and as individuals and where we can be bolstered up in your word and just strengthened and encouraged. And we give all these things to you now with thanks in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Continuing the study on do you not care? And where we left off last week was on page two, where we were making a correlation. Go to the top of the page two uh, about how Jesus was making a correlation when he was speaking to the disciples in Mark chapter 4. And go back to that so you can just refer to it once again in your passage. Mark chapter 4. And we were covering verses 35 through 41. And if you remember, if you go back and look at verse 40, Jesus had mentioned to the disciples, you know, after they were freaking out about the storm and after Jesus had spoken and calmed the winds and the waves, if you can imagine how that must have looked or appeared, if you were in that boat and here you are, you think you're going to drown. And yet at the same time, he is able to speak and the winds and the waves were calmed just by his command. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? So you see that there is a reference to fear and faith in that passage that the disciples were experiencing. And what he was doing, if you look at the top of page two on your handout, I wrote, Jesus is making a direct correlation here with overcoming fear and your level of faith. Fear is a great showstopper in our walk of faith. Fear is what keeps us from allowing God to speak to us and really be challenged to go outside of your comfort zone. Fear is the greatest stopping point. It's a stopper. And what we need to understand is that if we have greater faith, we suppress this fear factor. That's what we need to look at. Okay? 
So no faith means that fear will win. In other words, if you have no faith, then fear is going to win out. Fear is going to take you to a place where you're not thinking rationally, you're not reasoning, and it's going to make you just react in funny ways. You know, it just brought to mind, you know how we have those cartoons like in The Little Rascals, and you'll see these, the, these scenes where there may have been a, 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 some sort of an apparition or a ghost or somebody pretending and they thought it was a ghost and they're, in the, they're coming around a corner and somebody gets scared and you have these looks on their faces. They're just consumed with fear and running and, and they forget about what they were doing. Well, you know, that may be a comical reference to it, but that's exactly what we do. We don't, we, it takes us out of what we normally do, the way we think. And even may even be irrational in the process. So no faith means that fear will win. Faith in Jesus, whether it's a little or a lot, will press downward on your fear. Now, why do I say whether it's a little or a lot? A little bit of faith does mean something. Where is that analogy about that mustard seed of faith? A mustard seed of faith is a little bit of faith. But that's all that Jesus asks to have. At the very least, have a little bit of faith in order that we can indeed succeed in beating faith or beating fear. Excuse me. How do we face our fears? This is a challenge for each one of us. And where is our level of faith in Jesus? Do you trust him to be sufficient? That's what this whole purpose of this lesson is about Jesus being sufficient for us. In spite of what we see, is Jesus sufficient? Now, there may be all kinds of reasons to be fearful. I mean, let's face it, when they talk about the hurricane coming and hitting land, all you're seeing is reports over and over again about this hurricane is going to do devastation to you if you stay in its path and you don't escape. And so those who live on the Outer Banks, which basically is a big island in the middle of two strips of water, they said a mandatory evacuation. Get out now. Well, they're telling you this and giving you this information for your benefit. Some chose to stay behind. And they regret it because of the fact that they just feel foolish. This, they had to be rescued because they stayed behind when they were told a mandatory evacuation all over. Well, fear in that respect can be good. But you also learn the lesson of another kind of fear, which happens when, well, because I didn't get rescued, now what's going to happen to me because I've got all this water coming at me? Okay? And that's where your faith is going to be challenged, isn't it? But that doesn't mean that you still can't overcome that fear with faith. There has to be a rational place where you need to be when it comes to trusting Jesus Christ to be all-sufficient. That's the word we used last week, and that's the word we're using again this week. Is he sufficient for you? What is so fearful in your life that keeps you from trusting him with all-sufficiency? When we look at people who go and serve for us, for example, overseas at different countries, many of us will say, we can't do that. I would say to you, in contrast, why not? If it's God's will for you to be in that place, is he not going to give you what you need 
in his grace, in his mercy, in his enabling power to allow you to be successful to do those things. And the thing that keeps us from thinking we can't do it is what? Fear. Fear of a different culture, fear of a different people, fear of a different lifestyle, all those things that we're comfortable with and we're accustomed to. And I know that Lynn's study for the ladies, you're going to deal with that very issue coming up, I think, in the next lesson about, you know, is God truly being sufficient for you as well, too? Go ahead. You had your hand up. A fear of inconvenience. Oh, yeah, there, there are convenience factors. Absolutely. Hey, we, we, like, we like convenience. We like where we are right now, don't we? We like the lifestyle that we live. And we know that in the vast majority of situations when you're overseas, you are not going to be living this life of convenience. You know, yes, go ahead. A fear of self-preservation. And that could be devastating for anybody who's around you. I got mine. You go get yours. That could be a bad thing. Um, Yeah, sure. Yeah. There are going to be times in your life, maybe not all the time, but there are times when God is speaking to you and you may say, you know, Lord, I don't think this is going to work for me. Yeah, well, Job, Job is a great, Job is the, is the primary, the best example in scripture we can come up with. Oh, you said uh, Jonah, excuse me. Well, Job, yeah, Job is also challenged too, by the way, but Jonah is correct. Jonah is the one where, yes, he was told to go one place, said, uh-uh, I'm not going over to this place, I'm going over here. And look at what happened to him. And Jonah knew, he knew that he was going against what God was saying. So Jonah is a great example of that as well, too. But we need to be challenged. That's a challenge for each one of us. How do we face our fears and what is our level of faith in Jesus? I'll challenge you that all of us have work to do in this area. Our faith is probably not sufficient for the very things that God would have us to do, including at the very least doing work where we're really ministering and and speaking to others about Jesus Christ. This class was preparing us to be able to do this much more effectively, much more freely, with much more confidence. But of course, it starts with you and the knowledge of your word and trusting that Jesus Christ is present in your conversations with other people through the power of the Holy Spirit. But we need to make sure that we're using that power. Is Jesus Christ sufficient for you? And we use the word sufficient because there are times when you have bad times or bad experiences, but yet he still has meaning and is meaningful in that situation. We won't teach a false doctrine here that, you know, you're going to have good times all the time. I mean, even the show Good Times back in the 70s was not a show about good times. No. But it taught you lessons about even when you have a little, you have a lot. And that's what we want to make sure that we see with the presence of Christ in our lives. Because that's what it was, you know, people rejoicing over, you know, you don't have to make a payment. You know, that's, that's the way some of us think. 
but that's a good thing. Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> that's right. So I put the words of the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, on the page. And I wanted, because that's what came to mind as I was doing this. When it gets right down to it, when there is difficulty, when there is tragedy, when there are situations in your life that are where you may not be consolable. And I say that because there have been times where that may occur. There may be times in the future where this will occur too. You have to come back to, is it well with my soul? I'm on page two at the top and you'll see this big box where you see the lyrics of the words it is well with my soul okay page two page two yes so if you look at those lyrics and i'm not going to read the i'm not going to read the lyrics to you but you, if you look at that and you see that third uh section there though satan should buffet though trial should come let this blessed assurance control that christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul we have to come back to the very reason that Jesus Christ made an appearance here on earth. And that appearance was to do what? Die on the cross as a sacrifice for us to pay for our sins. Without that, you would surely be lost. So we have to go back to the basics. And usually that's what we're conditioned to do. We have to get back to the basics when it comes to our faith. And understanding what we're having faith in. Before we get so high-minded and forget exactly why we do what we do. Yes. That's right. Oh, he lost his family at sea. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Not sure if it was a Titanic. It was written before that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have to understand that this is a mindset, just like we mentioned in Habakkuk with the prophet when there was just nothing but loss around him. He essentially said the same thing. It is well with my soul. I rejoice in the Lord for what he has done. So these are examples that we've covered in class are reminders of that. Yes, you can actually say that Jesus Christ is sufficient for you in the midst of tragedy. In the midst of difficulty. Your faith matters. Absolutely. When it comes to dealing with fear. Okay. Um, All right. So let's go now after the, the section about the lyrics. It says, do you tend to inquire to God, of God or to accuse him? Which of the words in the last activity best describe the way that you approach God when you are mired in pain or caught in a storm? And I put the circle of the word from that list, but and, and that part, we, we, we're just going to bypass that right now. But notice how we had on the previous page, on page one, we had about the words that were actions. On the first page, seek, judge, ask, wonder, condemn, criticize. You know, which of those words best describe the way you approach God? Do you criticize him? Because when things get difficult, or do you really ask? Are you really seeking him? And do you believe that those words are the best way to approach God? 
do you show, do they show that you are taking God as he is? And why or why not? Well, let's put it this way. If you have a criticism of God, it may mean that you're not taking him for who he is. It may mean that you are calling him or referring to him as this magic genie. Remember, we use the words, not just genie, magic genie, where we want him to bless us and take us out of this misery, you know, by just saying, Lord, just take the pain away from me. Well, we know that he's not a magic genie. And if he doesn't heal us fast enough or do something fast enough, then we might want to have a criticism of that. Which doesn't take into account at all what? God's sovereignty. And what he's really trying to teach you. It's like you're in a classroom, he's trying to teach you something, but you're on a totally different planet. So we need to understand that this is something that's very, very important for us to see when it comes to our level of faith and our personal development. That's why I said earlier, we all have reasons or we all have room for improvement when it comes to our faith. We all have room for improvement. Yes. That's different than criticism. No. You, you have a legitimate, it's a legitimate question to ask why, but you have to understand that that question is going to be kind of an open-ended question in some ways. Okay, it may, but, but you're the one who's being personally afflicted. So is it right for you to criticize or for, to ask the question? Of course you can ask the question. It's okay to ask. That's why I said it might be. That's why I said the criticism aspect may be reflective upon how you are seeing what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, every one of us in this room is going to ask the question. Understand that sometimes the question is a prayer it's a prayer. It's an issue of you're, you're wanting to get information. You have every right to ask to get more information. He may answer it in a different way than what you would want the answer to be, but he still will respond to you. But we sometimes have to be open to making sure that we're open to all responses. Remember, we're not always open to all responses. We're, open to, we're always open to good outcomes. But we're not always open to bad responses or responses that don't fit where we are. Yes. That's right. That's right. Yep. That's right. I'm sure that's the first thing that you thought. Here I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
That's right. Absolutely. Look at the book of Philippians. Perfect example of what he's talking about. Here is a mature Paul that's writing to the church of Philippians because they thought enough of him to send him a gift and knew that they were trying to be strong in the faith themselves. And his letter was a word of encouragement to them. And he knew that he had a time where this was all going to end for him and pretty much shared that. But that was a mature Paul that was writing to the Philippians because they could handle that message. They were prepared for it. Where there probably were other churches that weren't so ready for that message. But you understand that we all have levels of maturity in our faith that we're dealing with here. And I feel like this class, because of how much we've learned, how much we've been exposed to, again, a lot of this is preparation for people who are coming to you with this information saying, you know, you, you have, they have a criticism of God or they have this. Now you know how to respond to these people. You know how to be patient with them. Encourage them. Steer them back in the direction of looking at things reasonably. Because that's what you need to be able to do. And the Spirit's going to give you what you need to do just that. So let's go back and look at this. Look more once more here in the passage at verse 38b. 38b, which is the second part of verse 38 in Mark chapter 4. Remember, Jesus was sleeping on the cushion in the stern. Very peaceful. So they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? Now, this goes back to the question you were referring to. There's a different way to word that question to change it. But don't you care is what was happening. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Accusers usually have an agenda. Agenda. They usually are operating on assumptions. One of the worst things is to operate on assumptions. Now, let's go back and look at this thing with the hurricane. It's very, very simple to say, well, they're overblowing it. You know, you can be the guy, the person that says, well, they're overblowing all the information. This thing is coming up to the coast. It's bringing a lot of water with it. So all they do is give a forecast. The forecast is they're going to have 10 to 15 inches of rain in some places and up to 40 inches and maybe some concentrated area. 40 inches of rain. Ah, they're just overblowing that. I'm just going to hang around and see what happens. Bad assumption. Because what you have to understand is weather forecasts are based upon trial and error to some degree. But now you've also got data that you go back and look at from previous storms. Like Hazel, one that went up the coast, which was a Cat 5 when it hit. And it caused a lot of devastation. And you have to understand that they're acting on information to the best of their ability. But... Weather forecasting today is about as precise as it can get. Short of being in God's back pocket. Assumptions that you are going to get out of it alive if you stay in something like that are bad assumptions. You might beat the odds. People play this as odds making. 
People might beat the odds and say, yeah, I survived it, but I'll never, ever do that again. Or they get out and they take care of business and get into a safe place. Assumptions are what are really bad for us as believers. Inquirers, like Donna mentioned, are open to answers, even answers they don't like. You understand something? Sometimes a question, you're going to ask a question, you're not going to like the answer. And let's, and let's just leave this with the Lord, you know, because all of us deal with questions we don't like to deal with, you know, when it comes to work or stuff like that. But let's just talk about you and the Lord. There are sometimes questions you're going to have of him that you're not going to like the answer. But a mature believer says, may not like it. It's not about liking, by the way. You don't have to like the answer. But it's, you say, it is well with my soul anyway. That's always the goal. It is well with my soul. It's okay. If that's the answer, then that's the answer. And then you just deal with it that way. So, inquirers are open to answers, even answers they don't like. Which one are you most often? Now, notice how I say it says most often. The writer of this, um, Jennifer Rothschild, is being honest about us. We're not always going to be perfect when it comes to our faith. Most often, we should be taking what God gives to us. But there are going to be times where we're going to be like screaming. <laughs> we don't like the answer. We don't want to hear about the answer. We may have a pity party about it. We may have a tam- temper tantrum about it. We may get upset about it. Thank goodness that there's always reconciliation and forgiveness for our sake. Because he knows who we are. You're not always going to respond in the best way. Yes. 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 There you go. That's a per. Yeah. Whatever you want, Father. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, that's the whole essence of the verse about God, you know, has intention for all for good to come out of it. But we have to take that word good and use it very cautiously and use it wisely. Because good is not good in the definition that we look at here in the dictionary about, you know, positive. You know what I'm saying? What is God's good for all of us? You wouldn't know if you don't know him and you don't understand who God truly is in your life. You're going to have a heck of a time with that. You're not going to even you're not even going to to process what's going on. Now, understand something. A lot of people that, you know, are just like that. You have to help them if they come to you and give them guidance as to where they should be going. Is it going to be a quick fix? Probably not. 
but they need to see some people in their lives that are encouraging. You ever notice how non-believers usually know who the believers are? Yeah, because they're the ones, you're the ones who are praying. They know you have a relationship of some sort with the Lord, and they frankly want what you have. But they may not know how to go about it. Well, that's where you come in. If you're really conscious of your co-workers, people that you are surrounding yourself with, people at the building that you work with that don't know the Lord, what should you be doing? You should be praying for those people. This is a regular thing that you as believers should be doing. You're praying for your non-believer friends and acquaintances. That's regular practice. And the reason why it's regular practice is because you now have a missionary's heart. Or should I say international worker's heart? Whatever it is. You know what I mean? The terminology. You have a missionary's heart for the lost because you developed your relationship with the Lord in such a way where you understand that it's not all about you. It's about others. It's not all about you. You have to understand, when we start asking these questions or accusations of God, that's when we make it about us. That's what's going on. When they say, die to self and live for Christ, they mean that in many, many different ways. Go ahead, Ed. I'm sorry. Perfect example. That's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Because, listen, he was human and knew what was going to happen to him. That's deep. See, we don't have that. He has that extra knowledge about what was going to happen to him. He knew about every lash, about every nailing, about every strike, about everything that was going to happen to him. Yeah, that was right as he was being captured. Yes. Yeah. Sure. That's exactly right. Very true. Yeah, he wasn't helpless. He wasn't helpless. He sacrificed himself for us. That's what we have to take away from that. He willingly laid down his life for us. Absolutely. That alone is a foundation that builds your faith when you understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. You understand that it's about Jesus Christ. And he did that for you personally. And he's done it for all of us who choose to believe in him. That's why we need to be prayerful, circling back to what I was saying before. Pray for those people you know who are non-believers. Pray for everybody you know who doesn't believe the Lord. Anybody in your circle of, not even your circle of influence, but your circle of people that you know. We do have a circle of influence, by the way. Those are terms that you'll hear in communications. You do have a circle of influence, the people that you come in contact with on a regular basis. Okay. So go back. Once again, 
Which one are you most often? Do you make assumptions? The disciples' question in 38b was an assumption that they were going to die. But it was faulty because it was speculative. Do you do that? The disciples didn't know they would die in the storm. They thought or felt that they would die in the storm. A lot of us live off of feelings. Feelings ain't going to get you nowhere. In the long run, feelings don't get you nowhere. And that's what the author of this text is saying here. They thought they were going to die. They felt like they were going to die. But that wasn't the reality. Then I wrote, fear will put you into a place of mental paralysis that will remove all sense of logic and reasoning because of your flesh. Faith is your only remedy for fear. Now, we need to distinguish something. There is a legitimate fear when it comes to not putting yourself in harm's way. Like when you go down in the hood, if you have to go down in the hood, you should be watching all around you. Almost like they have a swivel, your head's a swivel. Because that's just the nature of where you are. I, I was, it was sad for me to learn at a place, the Boys and Girls Club, where they over at the school on Kinsman and around 147th Street, they used to be able to play outside, the kids in the afternoon, but they can't do it anymore because they had two shootings out in the lot where the school was. Well, now common sense would tell you don't go and play outside right now until that neighborhood situation improves. That's a legitimate fear. The thing that we have to be cautious of is irrational fear. There's a difference. So we need to make sure that we make that distinction. Because we, many of us, frankly, get more caught up in irrational fear than we do in legitimate fear. Irrational fear. And it does put you in a place of mental paralysis. Because what that means is that you're focused on that one thing, but you're not looking to the Lord Jesus Christ as a way of reasoning through that situation. Mental paralysis. All sense of logic and reasoning. Remember, this is how the disciples are reacting here. Yeah, they were scared. They saw what? The waves, the wind around them, the boat. You know, the boat wasn't taking on water, to our knowledge. We don't have any mention of that. There's nothing going on about that. They were, Jesus was sleeping. They were perfectly safe in that boat. But they were afraid that something was going to happen to them. When you ask God questions, do you base it on assumption or speculation? Look at these questions. Don't you care my marriage is rocky? Notice how it says don't you. As in do you not care? Don't you care that my marriage is rocky? We'll get a divorce and I'll end up being alone and miserable. Don't you care that my teenager is hanging out with the wrong kids? He'll become a drug addict and ruin his life. Don't you care that my illness might leave my kids without a mother? Wow. Interesting questions. Questions that I'm sure have been asked. 
But it comes down to a level of fear overcoming faith when you ask those questions. Because they're based upon suppositions. Don't you care my marriage is rocky? Well, of course, Jesus, of course, cares about whether your marriage is rocky or not. But you're the one in the marriage. So you're going to come back and say, well, get a divorce and I'll end up being alone and miserable. Well, who's that on? It's on you. You're the one. If, if you're, you're, you understand what I'm saying here, you're making these suppositions as if you're almost planning this to happen on your own. Without regard to what God has to say about it. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, the destination. And it's all based upon fleshly thinking. We have to go and call it as it is. It's all based on fleshly thinking. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not going through a hard time. That, you know, goes without saying. But we have to understand that sometimes we carry things out further than we need to. You need to stop and pray about those things. Don't you care that my illness might leave my kids without a mother? Now, that's one of those questions that, wow, that person needs to be just consoled. Understand that God is aware. Of course he cares. But you're saying, don't you care? There's a difference. That's an accusation. It's not really a question. It's more of a complaint. When you are losing hope, page three, when you are losing hope or when the storm is tossing you, was that the first bell? Thank, good, thank goodness. Thank the Lord. <laughs> when you are losing hope or when the storm is tossing you, you remember, remember that speculation leads to a faulty assumption. Remember, when stuff is happening in your life, it just gives more fuel to your flesh. If you allow it. Because when times are good, we're less fleshly. Amen? Well, I hope, I hope we are. I don't want to make that assumption either, too. <laughs> we can still behave very badly even when times are good. But when times are very difficult, we really do have a struggle with our flesh. No question about it. And we have to overcome that. Don't let your fear take you there. Instead, take God as he is and trust that he cares because he is in the boat with you. You know what? Wasn't it, why wasn't it sufficient for the disciples that Jesus was in the boat with them? Is there any place you'd rather be than in a boat with Jesus Christ? We know, well, we know that. Yes, I got that. We, they were still learning about who he was, but they had already seen him perform and do things that were unexplainable. And here they're following him. And he says, come on, let's get in the boat. I'd go. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's right. Yeah, it makes sense. You see him doing things for other people. You see him doing these miracles and all that. He's healing others. He's talking to them. 
He's giving them information. He's bringing people to the Lord. But what about me? And that's what it comes down to. What about me? It's the personal thing that we're talking about. Yes. He pointed you out again. That's true. That's right. That's right. That's right. But you also have to choose to learn. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Five years. That's the tough part. Hey, Charles. Let's bring this down to practicality. Okay. Not supposition. That's right. Fear is an old enemy. Yes, it is. Adam was a victim of it. Yes, he was. Absolutely. Fear is when he first came to man, his spirit. Now, we can read all of this and assume some but this afternoon, as you would say, let's go out, we're going to knock on doors, we're going to pass out some tracks. Mm-hmm. What would be the heart of most of us here? Mm-hmm. Fear. Mm-hmm. Fear. That's right. So let's be practical about it. That's right. I don't know that we learned that fear yet. Well, I think we're still learning. Well, I think we're still learning. And you have to understand where that fear comes from. The fear that he mentioned about Adam, where did that fear come from? It came from after he ate and he was disobedient and immediately there was a change. Yeah. That's right. No, go ahead.
That's right. Couple more because we're done, really. But go ahead. Okay. That's true. True. Correct. So if you bring that forward today, you'll be doing everything like you want to do. It's not going to be short. Mm-hmm. However, when you do something wrong, that's where the fear comes. Like you just preached at the beginning of it, right? One more. One more. That's why we're having this discussion. I just look back, faith wasn't the one for faith. And I look back, it reminds me every five years ago, Blair was talking and said to me things of encouragement. And I was like, wow, I was really in a dark place then. And I look back, and it wasn't because I was going to sin, it was because my, or doing something wrong, it was because, okay, my spirit, we don't know, we don't think. Let me summarize. Understand something. I'm going to summarize real quick because we have to go. But, reminder, things can happen to you whether you're in sin or not. We need to establish that again and reinforce that because that's why a lot of us question sometimes what we're going through. We need to remember that. Don't equate what happens to you to be having anything to do with sin. Remember, Jesus addressed that in Scripture as well, too. He addressed that very clearly about how the son was mute or whatever. And and, it had nothing to do with the parents, had nothing to do with anybody doing anything. It was so God's glory could be revealed. Understand that that's ultimately what we're all about. It's about God's glory coming out through us. But what he wants from us is the best to be able to have that to happen. Okay? He's aware of what we're going through. He's aware of everything. Yeah. That's right. That's exactly right. 
we're gonna have a we're gonna have a great next class because we got a little bit more to go through here, especially these bold points that I have on this page here. But I think this is hitting home for a lot of us as far as what we need to see when it comes to the development of our faith. So let's close out in prayer and let's reflect on this class too as we leave as well. Father, we just thank you for this time that you've given us to get come before you and to sit and hear you speak to us through your word. And Lord, even though we're covering a, a passage of Mark chapter 4, um, verses 35 through 41, there's so much into this about how we approach you and how we see you sometimes. Lord, we want you to be more sufficient in our lives. We want to be able to say, yes, it is well with my soul, whatever is going on. We just thank you again for that teaching. We thank you for you being present in all things. We're reminded that you don't leave us or forsake us. We thank you for that. And we thank you for the instruction and the maturity that comes from believing and trusting in you. We pray now for the upcoming message and the speaker, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. We'll see you next week.